Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome to Next on Sunday morning. Full room this morning. It's pretty cool. Uh, we are going to continue today with our series that we started a few Sundays ago entitled Boxes. And uh, for those of you that <clears throat> haven't been here, um, this is adapted from the book Leadership and Self-Deception, Getting Out of the Box. And as we saw a few Sundays ago, the nature of this series really is all about perspective and perception. And um, just a quick review, it's because of our lack of perspective that what we often think of as being the problem isn't really the problem. Uh, because we are inside our boxes and we are unable to see clearly the heart of the issue. So what we want to do today is go ahead and get to the punchline. Um, the problem, ladies and gentlemen, is us. And whenever I say us, I don't necessarily mean us as a collective church community. That can sometimes be a problem. Uh, but more specifically, I mean us as individuals. I am the problem. You are the problem. Last week, we started talking about how we get in the box. And um, we read scripture from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And this is, uh, as we said, a scripture that a lot of people that even don't espouse the beliefs of the Bible are still familiar with the scripture. And um, we want to go back through it again this morning. Uh, Jesus said, do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. As we talked about last week, Jesus isn't saying in this passage, don't make judgments. Don't make value assessments. That's not, that's not what he's getting at here. We have to do that. We have to ask questions about, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Is this good for my church community? Is this bad for my church community? We have to do that. What he's doing is he's pointing out the fact that you can be in a box with your value assessments, especially whenever you do it about people. He's saying don't make value judgments to the degree that you dehumanize people who don't hold the same values that you hold. We get out of the box with our perspectives on someone who doesn't hold the same values that we do whenever we preserve their dignity, whenever we preserve their humanity, and whenever we preserve their God-given image. This is all review from last week. The box that we tend to get in is a result of patterns of making ourselves seem good in our own eyes, pretty much at the expense of the people around us. We want to be right, and there's nothing wrong with being right. There's nothing wrong with having truth. There's nothing wrong with knowing you have truth. Unless we diminish others to objects that we use to reinforce our own self-justification. And we're going to talk about that a good bit today. So if you didn't understand what I just said right there, hang with me. Because we're going to spend a good bit of time talking about that today. We talked about hypocrisy last week. Uh, whenever we act in ways that are contrary to what we believe is right and appropriate, I'm not living what is on the website. 
On the website, I say I believe this, but if you followed me around throughout my daily life, you would see I'm not living what I'm putting out on the website. Um, When we know what we should do, but we don't do it, that's hypocrisy. Humans are frequently not consistent with their declared values. That's what we call being a hypocrite. So the key to not being a hypocrite is to look inward instead of outward. Look at me, not look at the people around me, and see where I am being the pretender, where I am being an actor whenever it comes to my declared values. Am I wearing a mask? Because salvation isn't trading one mask for another. Jesus didn't save us so that we could trade a worldly secular mask for a churchy religious mask. That's not what salvation is about. He's not asking you to take off that mask and put on a new mask. It's taking off that faceplate. We saw that uh, in the Greek last week. Take off the, the mask and say, this is me. And I need grace. And I'm messy. And therefore church is messy. And because I know how I look without my mask on, I'm not going to freak out whenever you take yours off. Or I catch you in a moment where you forgot to put it on. Church can be real, and we can be real, because we have a value that we understand we all need grace. We have a value that we understand church is messy, and we are all, every single one of us, broken people serving broken people. That's what we're doing. One last key point um, from last week, self-deception, because the book is entitled Leadership and Self-Deception, it, entitled, it, it defines self-deception as not knowing or resisting the possibility that one has a problem. And this is how we get into the box. We justify, justify, justify. We make every excuse to make what we do and how we think as right and justified and pretty and sugary and palatable as possible. We justify ourselves. And this week we want to finish up with looking at how we get in the box in the first place so that next week we can talk about how we get out of the box. So before we take off, uh, just a couple of points. I want to, first of all, warn you, guys, it's a lot easier to be in the box. It's a lot easier to just stay in your box. You don't have to think. You don't have to reason. You don't have to pray. Knocking the walls out of your box is going to take work and it is going to make you uncomfortable. So it's a lot easier to just stay in the box. It's going to be complicated. But the alternative is to continue to just, if you want to live in the box, then what you're signing up for is I'm going to continue to live in conflict and I'm constantly going to look for confirmation. Uh, I came across a term this week. Has anybody ever heard of confirmation bias? Any of you people that have studied mass marketing or uh, this would be right up Nathan Henson's alley uh, if you've ever done um, mass comm classes or even psychology classes. Confirmation bias? Nobody. Okay. Guys, I'm sorry. Y'all are late. The only seats left are right up here at the front. (laughs) Y'all just go, that's okay. We'll stand. Um, Confirmation bias. Okay, this is confirmation bias in a nutshell. Confirmation bias is I look for and embrace people, ideas, and sources 
that confirm what I already believe. That's confirmation bias. So it would look like, in practical terms, it would look like this. I'm going to go visit that church over there, and I'm going to see whether they're preaching good stuff. And what determines whether or not they're preaching good stuff is if they're preaching what I already believe. Confirmation bias. The news does this to you every day. Because Fox and Friends, I'm sorry, I know I'm about to get all over somebody's candy stick here, but Fox and Friends, they are giving you the news the way you like to get the news. They are giving you its, its confirmation bias. Okay, now that's not to say that the news isn't valuable, but they're packaging it in a way that you, it's the news you like and it's the way you like it. That's confirmation bias. Um, Jesus didn't confirm the beliefs of very many people. He wrecked a lot of boxes whenever he showed up on the scene. This guy, he ate with sinners. He healed people and did miracles on the Sabbath day. He taught accountability to other people was just as important, if not more important, than going down the list of laws and checking off all of the boxes. like the way I worked that in there. Nobody caught that. Okay. So here's the deal. If you want to follow Jesus, all of you good people in here today, some of you I don't even know, then that's awesome. But if you want to follow Jesus, just here's the warning. You've got to prepare to have your box crushed because that's what he did. All right, so with all that said, um, let me do what I said I was going to do last Sunday and talk about how we get in the box in the first place. And I'll lead off with a quote and a story from the book. Um, And the the quote is this, Self-betrayal is the germ that creates the disease of self-deception. Self-betrayal is the germ that creates the disease of self-deception. Self-deception is our box. Self-betrayal is how we get there. But what does that look like in real terms? I mean, how does... How does self-betrayal, self-deception, how does that play out in real life? Well, I'm about to make it as real as it can get. I'm going to tell you a story, and the names have been changed in this story to protect the innocent. Or the not-so-innocent. Jim and Amy had uh, only been married for two years, and their new baby, Layla, had been with them for less than a month. At one o'clock in the morning, Jim wakes up and can hear Layla starting to whimper from the crib near the bed. Jim squelches the impulse to get up and attend to the soon-to-be-crying infant. And there's some people in here like, "Uh uh-huh, been through that before. Instead of seeing to baby Layla's increasing demands for food and changing, Jim outweights Amy until she gets up and takes care of the baby. This self-betrayal led to self-deception, where Jim began to inflate his wife's faults while at the same time maximizing his own virtues. Jim admits, the truth is, her fault seemed relevant to whether I should help her only after I failed to help her. You see how twisted and convoluted that is? Only after I failed to help her is whenever all of her faults about why I should help her really became evident to me. We're we're all nuts. We're bonkers. This is, oh, the, the baby's crying. The baby's crying, so what do you do? You just kind of roll over and burrow in. And this is the thought process. 
I've got to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go to work. She doesn't have to go to work. She's going to stay home all day and take care of the baby and take care of the house. I deserve to stay in bed and sleep more than she does, so I'm just going to lay right here and wait until she gets up. Watch me now. Here we go. Anybody uncomfortable in here right now? Okay. Oh, yeah, no, she's back there. <clears throat> she's back there. Jim knew the right thing to do, did he not? Yes? Did he know the right thing to do? Yes, Jason. Jim knew the right thing to do. Did he do it? No. What do we call someone who knows what the right thing to do is and don't do it? We call him a hypocrite. But nobody likes being a hypocrite, right? This is like my favorite thing. Nobody wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror and says, I'm going to be the fakest person on earth today. I can't wait to get started and show everybody what a great hypocrite I can be. Nobody does that. Nobody likes being a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. So what does Jim have to do because he doesn't want to be a hypocrite? Somebody said it. Say it again. Boom! You get an A-plus for the day. Jim justifies himself. In order to avoid the unpleasant admission that I should do the right thing by my wife and do the right thing by my baby, Jim has to justify. And he says, so what I did was I focused on and inflated her faults when I need to feel justified for mine. I've got to justify my faults so I focus on and inflate hers. Having betrayed myself, the truth was just the opposite of what I thought it was. So here's the key point. When I betray myself by failing to do what I know I should for another person, then I enter the box of self-deception. I'm getting in the box. I start to justify myself seeing, seeing Jason as the victim. I'm hardworking. I'm important, I'm fair, I'm generous, I'm a good husband, I'm a good father, etc., etc. And I see the other person as being lazy, inconsiderate, unappreciative, insensitive, unfair. Run it all now. I inflate the other person's faults and I inflate my own virtues, justify myself, blame the other person. That way, I'm out of the hypocrite box. I don't have to be a hypocrite anymore. This is how we get in the box. So here's the process. I'm going to give it to you again. Here's how to get in the box in three easy steps. Number one, when I feel to do good for another person and refuse, that's called an act of self-betrayal. That's being a hypocrite. And, and I said when I feel to do good for another person, for those of you that are in church and you're Christ followers, we're going to go ahead and say it this way. That's whenever the Holy Ghost is prompting you or the Jesus inside of you is saying, you know what I would do here, right? Okay? When I feel to do good, that's step one. I feel to do good for another person and I refuse. I'm being a hypocrite. That's an act of self-betrayal. Number two, when I betray myself, I'm forced to see the world in a way that justifies my self-betrayal because I don't want to be a hypocrite. But I know I am being one, so I've got to change the way that I see the world around me, change the way that I look at the world and view reality so that I'm justified. And then the last step is, 
When I see this self-justifying world, then my view of reality becomes distorted. Distorted in that I inflate my virtue and I inflate other people's weaknesses and issues. Now I'm living in this box of self-deception. And this is the fallout. These are the implications of being in the box. Over time, certain boxes become characteristic of me and I just carry, around, carry them around with me wherever I go. This is... If I could put it over my head and still read my notes, I would do it. But this, this, this is my box, and everywhere I go, it's, 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 it's a part of me. It's a part of me. It's welded to me. This, this is how I view, I can't talk to you, Brayden, without the box being in the way. We start to say things like, he's always been that way. She's always like that. Those people will never get it right. Those people, that group, they're always fill in the blank. And the other piece of fallout or the other implication of being in a box is that being in a box provokes others to be in the box. You know, whenever you're in a box, everybody knows you're in a box but you. Because, I mean, it's pretty easy to pick out whenever somebody else's thinking is messed up. It, it's kind of hard to pick, up, pick out whenever your thinking's messed up. When you think and operate from a box, then you're invite, what you're doing is you're inviting mutual mistreatment and, and mutual justification from every. It's like taking out one of those $4 million Super Bowl ads for 30 seconds and saying, Hey, I'm in a box. Let's have conflict. I'm going to keep operating from this stupid box of mine and that's going to force you, because you won't be a hypocrite either, to operate from your stupid box and we'll just keep button heads over the same issue over. Let's have conflict. Let's be in a box. And this is where we really get twisted. I'm not going to let you be right because I need you to be wrong so I can keep living in this box so I don't have to admit I'm a hypocrite. That's called collusion. I'm giving you a reason to stay in your box so I can stay in mine and that way I won't ever have to admit that I might be wrong and that I might be a hypocrite, that I might have a problem. I told you earlier, it's going to be a lot easier and require a lot less thought, work, and prayer to just stay in your box and me stay in mine. Jason, that, that's, I, I hear what you're saying, but that's all, that's all a bunch of psychobabble. That, that's, that, I mean, this is Sunday school, and we're supposed to be learning about Jesus and stuff, and, and we want some truth, and get back on the Jesus name, and look, maybe even preach some holiness standards in here a little bit. But there ain't no Bible in this. Really. They agree. <laughs> then I must have missed it whenever Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take this speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your own eye, hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I really, I'm about to tell you all another story. I wish so badly this was my story, but it isn't. It happened to a friend of mine. But just listen and pretend like it is my story. 
He told me a story about something that happened uh, the other night at this outdoor sporting goods store where he works. And he said, uh, my co-worker Stan the other night just happened to be following a customer into the restroom when by coincidence the security scanners began beeping loudly and it was quite awkward. And Stan, you know, doing his diligent duty as an employee of the store, uh, informed the customer that he had followed into the restroom that he was going to have to search his bags. The customer protested, look, these, these bags aren't even from this store. They are from other stores. And I just came into the, straight into the store and went straight to the bathroom. Stan insisted, being convinced by the beeping scanner that the man's bags would be searched while they were there in the restroom. The customer knew he was innocent of any wrongdoing, relented, but nonetheless felt embarrassed. Nothing out of the way was found, and Stan had to reluctantly and rather sheepishly admit that everything appeared to be in order. A few minutes later, Stan noticed somewhat strangely that the security scanner went off again as he left out of the restroom. Well, that's odd, he thought. It must be malfunctioning. Something wrong with this scanner. About an hour later, Stan was cleaning out his vest pockets at the end of his shift. Much to his chagrin, there he found a whole pocket full of security tags that he had been using in an earlier stocking project. He was the one who set off the security scanner. It wasn't the customer with the problem. And it wasn't the security scanner with the problem. Stan was the problem. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the box. This is it. We mistakenly point judgment at someone else because we think they have a problem. And we've got a whole pocket full of problems. Fedor Dostoevsky said, Above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or the truth around him and so loses all respect for himself and for others and having no respect, he ceases to love. I want to touch on this from our scripture reading. In verse 3, Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? In the Greek, that word look comes from the Greek word that literally means to see, like normal vision. This is what I I see. But the word that later in that verse that's translated noticed, that's a different word. It's not the same word. Because this word, notice, means comprehension, understanding, depth of knowledge, right or correct thinking about and usually comes in a spiritual context. So really we could render it this way. Jesus is saying, but how do you see the speck of dust in your friend's sight, but do not understand, perceive, or comprehend in your right mind the log in your own sight? You're seeing a speck of sawdust in your friend's eye. But you've got a tree growing out of your eye. 
He needs a set of tweezers. You need to call in a logging company. When we're, and here's the thing, whenever we're in the box, our view of reality, our view of people, our view of the situations around us, the stuff that we're going through, whenever we are in the box, the stuff that we are going through in our lives, we're not seeing it clearly. Our vision is distorted because we got a tree in our eye. We are self-deceived. We're not seeing ourselves and we're not seeing other people clearly. And that creates, it creates major trouble for us. It creates problems for us and it creates problems for the people around us. Because people are responding not primarily to who you are as a person, but they're re responding to how you're being. Whether or not you're out of the box toward them or not. This, this is a cool story. Now y'all know, those of you who've been in this class for a while, y'all know I'm a big space nerd. I love all this space stuff. So this was like right up my alley. But y'all are going to like this. At the turn of the last century, the world's most distinguished astronomer was certain that there were canals on Mars. Like artificially made channels for water, a canal. His name was Sir Percival Lowell, and he was esteemed for his study of the solar system, and he had a particular fascination with Mars, the red planet. When Lowell heard in 1877 that this Italian astronomer had seen straight lines crisscrossing the Martian surface, Lowell spent the rest of his years squinting into the eyepiece of this huge telescope in Arizona, mapping out the channels and canals that he saw. He was convinced the canals were proof of intelligent life on Mars, possibly an older and wiser race than humanity. Lowell's observations gained wide acceptance because he was so eminent in the field and so respected. Nobody dared contradict him. Now, of course, things are different because we've sent space probes out and they've orbited Mars and we've sent space probes and they've actually landed on Mars. The entire planet has been mapped and nobody's seen a canal. There's no evidence of an older, wiser Martian race that once lived on Mars. That Lowell was convinced existed. So how could this guy Lowell, who's smart, who was revered and respected, who had the knowledge in the field, how could this guy Lowell have seen so much that wasn't there? Well, maybe he wanted to see canals that he never did. And he wanted it so bad that he saw canals over and over again. That's, that's very possible. But here's what we now know. Lowell suffered from a rare eye disease that made him see the blood vessels in his own eye. The Martian canals that he spent years mapping out, he was noticing nothing more than the bulging veins in his own eyeball. Today, this malady is known as Lowell's syndrome. What Lowell saw on Mars was a disease in his own vision. 
what Lowell spent years projecting and writing down and documenting. He was projecting his own problem onto the object of his affection. He loved Mars. He was fascinated by Mars. And he was projecting his own problems onto what he loved. Now there's 500 different ways we can run with this. Because sometimes we struggle in our marriages. Sometimes we struggle in our relationships with brothers and moms and dads. And that's convoluted and sticky stuff. But sometimes, even though we love them, what we're doing is we're projecting our own problems onto them. We're not seeing them as they really are. It's our own disease. And we do it with church. And we do it with God. When Jesus warns us of seeing a speck of sawdust in a friend's eye while missing the tree that's growing out of our own, could He not be referring to the spiritual equivalent of Lowell's syndrome? Over and over and over again, we see the faults in others because we don't want to believe anything better about them, Brian. We don't want to believe better. That's tragic. Especially whenever we do it to the things and the people that we love most. It's tragic. This is the danger of the box. Athanasius said, You cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. I warned you earlier, it's going to be a lot easier to blame others than to fix you. It's a lot easier for Jason to blame everybody else instead of fixing him. And we're going to focus on it more next week. I, I, but I, I, I don't want to leave you hopeless today. <laughs> I don't want you leaving out of here feeling beat up. There is hope to get out of the box. There is hope to get out of the box. But I don't want to wait until next week to get into that. So we'll talk more about it next week. But here's, here's how we get out of the box. In that moment, whenever we find ourselves experiencing this internal conflict because we know what we need to do, we know what we should do, we know what the right thing to do would be, in that moment, I need to see another person as a person with needs and hopes and worries that are just as real and legitimate as my own. When I do that, then I'm out of the box. I'm out of my box. The moment I help someone with a speck of sawdust in their eye while being very conscious of the tree, of the forest I've got growing out of mine, then I'm out of the box. And it works like this. This, this is how it's going to play out in your real life. This is being practical, real life stuff right now. This is the way you're going to experience. Julie, I, I, I just don't know. i got this problem in my life, and, and I don't know how to make it work out. 
Steve, I got, I got all these issues, man, and, and this one thing, it keeps coming back no matter how much I try to deal with it. And I, I don't know what to do. Even if they don't say it, their actions are telling you they know they've got this problem. I've got this speck in my eye, and it won't come out. It keeps nagging me. It keeps bothering me. And I just don't know what to do. So I, I do. I act all crazy, and I act all irritable, and I get mad at stupid stuff. But it, it's not me. It's the speck in my eye. It, it's got me irritated. Y'all ever had something in your eye? A little bitty something will drive you nuts. This speck in my eye, Jason, is driving me crazy. This is being out of, in the boxes, man, you right. <laughs> you got some problems, dude. And here's the Bible verse that's going to fix it. You in the box. Out of the box is, man, listen, <laughs> I know you got a problem, but at least you didn't have to call in a whole logging company because I, I had trees coming out of my eye. They had to spray Agent Orange in my eye. I had so many issues and problems. Then you're out of the box because you're dealing with someone from the perspective of your own understood need for grace and Jesus and mercy. I'm going to say some names even though it's going on this thing and getting posted to the website. But y'all know what I do for a living, most of you. Whenever I'm dealing with Andrew and whenever I'm dealing with Megan and whenever I'm dealing with Nathan and whenever I'm dealing with Alyssa and whenever I'm dealing... I mean, go on down the list of the kids that I see in my office. They're the frequent flyers. If I'm dealing with them from the perspective of, man, you got a problem and I want to fix it so bad, I'm in the box. And whenever I'm dealing with it from the perspective of you've got needs, you've got worries, you've got concerns in your life that are every bit as legitimate as mine, I'm out of the box. I cannot be any more practical than that right there. So here are some action steps for those of you so inclined to trying to get out of the box. Here are some action steps for you. Number one, judge yourself. Number two, help others after you judge yourself. Don't get those two steps flip-flopped. Don't, don't do it that way. Judge yourself. Help others after you judge yourself. Give with humility and not with superiority. You got, you, we, you. Jason has got to reach where people are, not where I think they should be. Uh, 10.39. Okay, I got time. I want to deal with this. Anybody got any questions or comments before I, I wrap this up? One, two, three, no. Okay, so I'll give you a little bit more time in a second. I want to touch on this. Uh, this is the last part of our Scripture reading. Jesus said in verse 6, Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before swine or they will trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. This... I'm jumping tracks right here, but this scripture has always just bothered me a little bit. Anybody else? It's just, I see a few nodding heads. It's always bothering me a bit, mainly because of how it gets presented in church. 
You don't give pearls of truth or pearls of spiritual knowledge to the unworthy. Now nobody says it that way, but that's what they mean. Come on, somebody. That's how it gets presented. And the more I think about it, the more that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Jesus did not withhold truth and blessings and healings from people because they weren't good enough. He didn't do it that way. Am I right? Is that Bible? Dallas Willard taught it this way, and I, I, I like this, I'm down with it. He said, the problem with pearls for pigs is not that the pigs are unworthy. It's not worthiness in question here at all, but helpfulness. You're going to like this, Tear. Pigs cannot digest pearls. They cannot nourish themselves upon it. Likewise, for a dog, if you give him a Bible or a crucifix, the dog cannot eat it. The reason these animals will finally turn and tear you to pieces when you one day step up to them with another load of pearls is because at least you are edible. Whereas what you are offering is not. The point that Jesus was making with that verse is about discerning, discerning, and man, we struggle with this, what is the appropriate time and what actually serves someone? What's the appropriate time and what actually serves someone? So now, okay, broken people serving broken people. What are we here to do? We're here to serve others? We're here to complete the mission of the gospel? Yeah, that that involves reaching out to to other people. And what Jesus is doing is He's cutting to the heart of what motivates our desire to help someone or to serve somebody. If our service or our pearls don't deal with the direct need as perceived by those receiving them, then they are actually irrelevant or indigestible. And they are thus wasted and will not accomplish what was desired. Is our motivation to help someone, is our motivation to serve someone coming from a sense of superiority? By God, I I know. I've been in church 20 years. I know know what you need and now you're going to get it. I've got this holy hand grenade right here in my hand. The pen is pulled and I'm ready to just drop it on your head. I've got it. We know best because it's Bible, so we dispense these pearls that we know they need regardless of the fact that they can't digest them. We and they would be much better served by looking into what they perceive their need to be. It's a little touchy right here, but hang with me looking to what they deem relevant and going about providing for it. That's what successful planting of seeds is all about. Do certain seeds grow better in certain types of ground? Do certain seeds grow better in certain types of ground at certain times of the year? Uh Uh-huh. 
instead of giving you what I know you need, I'm going to give you, watch this, this is how crazy this is, I'm not going to give you what I know you need. Your, your life is a mess, and I know what you need. You need to get baptized in Jesus' name, you need to get the Holy Ghost, and you need to stop living the way you live, and that's what you need. But I can't drop that grenade on you, because your soil's not ready. So instead, I'm going to give you what you think you need. You think you need a connection. You think you need somebody to understand you. You think you need somebody to listen to you. You think you need $20 so you can get gas money through the week. Okay. I'm going to give you what you think you need in hopes that I will prepare your soil for the pearl of Scripture that you really need. Getting your heart ready for what God has prepared. So here's the test. Oh, here's the test. How we honestly feel when our pearl is left there on the ground and has been walked on by this person who's pretty much unenthusiastic by whatever wisdom you just dropped on them. How do you feel when that happens? That's a pretty good sign of where our heart was in the first place. By God, if that's how they're going to be whenever I try to lead them. That's a good indicator where your heart was in the first place. Hmm. 1045, call for question, comment. Thank you. Okay. Judge yourself first. Then try to help them. Don't get those two steps out of order. It's good action steps. Absolutely. Anybody else? Lord, thank you so much for being in this place today. I felt a little something in the house today, and I don't think it was just because I was trying to get my preach on. I believe your spirit was here. I think you're talking to us. Okay, so this is going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be unwieldy, but show us the boxes that we're operating from and help us to kick the walls out and to get outside of the box whenever we deal with people, Lord, so we can deal with them in the right way, in the appropriate way, at the appropriate time. Lord, just give us wisdom. Give us understanding. I don't want to say this. I want to pray it, but God, I'm going to say it anyway. Help me to judge myself with the right eyes. And do that first before I try to help somebody else and then realize they have got legitimate needs that are just as valid as my own. Talk to us throughout the remainder of this service today, Lord. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Y'all have a good day.